My name is Tina Conrad, a.k.a. DJ Breast Cancer, and this is a podcast on journeys through breast cancer. It is also about those making a difference in the world of cancer, primarily breast cancer. My mission is to inspire hope, help one person every day. Consider it like a girlfriend's guide to breast cancer. It's where inspiration meets expectation, where reality meets dreams. Together with my guests, we will share Tina tips on getting through a cancer diagnosis and discussing the highs and lows and what life after cancer looks like. It's about the sisterhood of breast cancer and how sharing our stories and our individual actions can inspire change, can support others, and share light and love. This podcast is inspired by a shining light, my dear friend and pink sister, Sandy Clausen. She passed away in July of 2018 after a recurrence of breast cancer, and she never gave up fighting. Season two is dedicated to Jan Kraus, a pink sister and friend to my mom and I. She passed away in April of 2019. She was a gentle, kind, and positive, loving woman. She was a wife, a mother, and a grandmother. I truly hope in my lifetime that our voices create research dollars to fight for a future with innovative treatments that can cure cancer. It is my hope that my goddaughters live in a world where pink ribbons are for prom and weddings, not for a horrible disease. And until that time, I will not stop. And to all my pink sisters out there, I am sending you my love, positivity, and holding your hand. Welcome to DJ Breast Cancer Season 2. everybody, it's Tina Conrad, a.k.a. DG Breast Cancer, and I am here with a very special guest, Selena Bryan. Uh, she is a co-worker of mine and a fellow survivor, and we met through work, and we are also part of the same support group together, and I'm so excited to share with you her story today. So, Selena, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your diagnosis, and maybe some of the treatments that you had for your breast cancer journey? Hello, everybody. Um, like Tina said, I'm Selena Bryan, and I um, am married and have four kids. And um, yeah, and like when were you diagnosed? How what age were you at? Yeah. So my diagnosis was I was 37, and it was in August of 2016. Um, my husband and I were um, trying for a fourth child. So I mentioned we had four kids. At the time, we only had three um, before my diagnosis. And um, we were trying for a fourth one. And uh, before we knew that we were expecting that fourth one, um, I ended up with a abnormality, if that 
Did I say that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're good. Um, in my left breast. And at first, whenever I noticed it, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's something. It's going to go away. And maybe it's just there for it's that time of the month or something like that. And um, then it didn't go away. And so I, I did talk to a friend at work and just in confidence said, hey, what do you think? And she's like, you should probably get it test out. And later that month um, in July, I um, was going to take some time off from work, a week off. And at that time, that's when I scheduled my first appointment with just my regular doctor. Um, they weren't too concerned about it. They just, ah, it's, I, I don't even know what they called it at the time, but it, oh, it's just a cyst. Mm-hmm. We'll just go further on and we're going to get a mammogram and an ultrasound done on it. But I just, I don't think it is. I don't think it's anything to be worried about. So that next week they scheduled um, the mammogram and an ultrasound. And at that time they said, well, have you had your period? And I said, well, I think it should start here soon. It's, it's this week, but, you know, it should start sometime soon. Um, what I did realize, though, later that week, it had not started. And I said, well, what if I am? You, you can't have a mammogram if you're pregnant, correct? And they said, well, let's do a test before that, that happens. Because, yes, you're not supposed to have a mammogram while you're um, pregnant. And when they did the blood test, it came back positive and they found, yep, you are definitely pregnant. <laughs> and so um, through all of that, they said, well, we got to be cautious through everything that we do. So during the first mammogram, they would shield um, my pelvic area when they were doing it. Um, but the mammogram came back and didn't really show that there was something there. Um, so they did an ultrasound at the same time and still they were just like, eh, I'm not sure. I, I just, maybe, but no, there's just nothing like for sure confident that it's breast cancer. So they said the next thing to do was to let's go up and let's do a biopsy of it. So we went up and they referred me to, um, DuPont and we had a biopsy scheduled for the next week Mm -hmm. and um, went in for the biopsy and I I will say I think that was kind of nerve-wracking you know you're awake during that and they're talking to you and you know he took a sample and the first time he took a sample he says "Ooh, that's a sinker and I'm like what's that mean you know like <laughs> what's, wow. what's going on? And um, he's like, well, if you think about it, breast t- tissue is usually fat tissue and it will float. And I go, oh. <laughs> and it kind of just sunk in then. And I'm like, but still, no, no, I'm fine. I'm strong. I've, you know, gotten through other things. It's not cancer. It's just, they got to just take it out and I'll be fine. It's just going to go away. And I will say, during this time, then, yes, everything was confirmed um, that the pregnancy, I wasn't very far along Mm -hmm. in the pregnancy. So um, with everything that the doctors did, 
um, it was very cautious. And I would say initially, things took a little bit longer than what they would have with somebody else Mm -hmm. going through this this battle. Um, So we did the biopsy. I was with my mom and, um, you know, I told her about everything and we, we left and then it was a waiting game. Mm-hmm. Um, two days later, I get the call from the nurse navigator, Holly at Lutheran, and she said it was breast cancer. And were you at work when you got that call or were you at home? No, I was at work. Yeah, I was too when I got my call and... And even if you feel like that's where it's taking you, just that call and being like, I don't know, it's just so hard to explain until you've been in those shoes, you know, but I I mean, I can totally relate to you. So here you have like the best news, like you're expecting your fourth child, obviously offset by the fact that you now have cancer. So how did your treatment plan look and like what different things resulted because you were pregnant at the time? So initially, they were going to do, uh, the plan was, and like I said, it seemed like every time we went in, we had a different plan. Mm -hmm. And so initially, the plan was going to be um, the first couple rounds of, let me take back, first was get everything done before the pregnancy, and then we would have the little one and we'd be done Mm -hmm. with everything um and then when I went in for um an on one of my oncology appointments I had already talked to um the executive director of Vera Bradley's breast cancer foundation which fortunately since I work at Vera Bradley Mm -hmm. we have that resource and went and talked to Linda and just was you know, with questions running through my mind. And I said, you know, and what do I do? You know, my family kind of said something about getting a second opinion. Do I go somewhere else? Do I, you know, everything, they just kind of want to like rush through everything. And I feel comfortable with the group that I have, with the doctors I have. So should I get a second opinion? Should I go down to Indianapolis she welcomed the idea. She said she could make a phone call and get me down to Indianapolis the next day if I I wanted to. Um, but I mentioned to the oncologist that I had an appointment with um, that week. And he says, you know what? He says, and like I said, I felt comfortable with my oncologist, with my group. He says, to save you the time of going to Indianapolis, I can make that call. He goes, I have a direct link to that doctor or to a doctor as well. And um, I can get kind of what their plan would be. Mm -hmm. And so he made a call um, to Dr. Schneider down in Indy. And um, by the time then I went through um, the right mastectomy or the left mastectomy and then was going to start my chemo when I got to my first chemo treatment they had already changed the treatment um, Mm. to the extent of what drugs they were going to give me how often they were going to give them to me and then how long they were going to get them to me and by him talking to Dr. Schneider it said it was going to be less risky 
for the baby. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Carr, who was my oncologist here at Lutheran, he says, you know, we do see pregnancies and breast cancer or cancer together, but it's not on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Where in Indianapolis, they have it on a more regular basis and they would know more. Not that his first plan, initial plan would be a bad plan, but maybe the second plan would be more of a a less harsh plan or uh, I think it was more of a concern for weight gain and growth mm-hmm. for the, the little one at the early stages. So speak, I guess, you know, to, to the listeners, like, and just, it's kind of crazy, obviously chemo, like, you know, you think of it and it just kills everything in its sight. And yet you have this, you know, baby in utero. Um, so like, what did they do to kind of calm your nerves or let you know, like that this is still safe, you know, for you, for the baby, you're all going to get through it. Like, did they kind of encourage you or like make you feel confident that this was still going to be okay? Or how, how did they talk to you about all of that? They definitely said that since the cancer didn't spread to any place else Mm -hmm. in me, that they were certain that there was not cancer in the baby. But they did say that, yes, the baby would have received the chemo. Um, They do not believe that they would have received the chemo to the extent that I would Mm -hmm. because it would have gone through the umbilical cord and, and stuff. But it's not. They didn't think it was to the extent because of the direct path that I was receiving it. Mm -hmm. Um, That is still a question I guess I have. And I did question the pediatrician this last um, appointment that I had for Samantha where I said, you know, I just kind of wonder. I I know what her my guidelines for my kids are as far as as they get older and when we start checking for breast cancer and when we do those. But my concern is, is. If there would ever be cancer in there, can they, what chemos can they do? Mm Because there's one certain chemo that they say, you have this and you can only have so much in life. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. does that, how does that impact Samantha? Mm -hmm. I don't, I think they all say, you know, that doesn't take into account or they don't, they don't consider her having any of that. Right. Um, Well, that's, that's, you know good to hear and uh, obviously puts you at ease I'm sure too so you had your mastectomy well in your first trimester trimester correct and then you had some chemo and then you delivered your baby and then you had treatments after the baby was delivered with radiation is that correct um I had chemo and then the radiation was even after okay yeah after delivery yes after I had the chemo and then we did the radiation after the chemo okay so everything was very separate and kind of I felt kind of drawn out Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember talking to you at work and you know and I tell people too even in my case it was like it's a marathon it's not a sprint you know and and in your case it was a longer marathon, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, I definitely felt for you, like, um, you just had so many changes happening, um, you know, all the while. And I think it's awesome for everyone listening to, to know that, you know, Samantha now is two, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to describe her? Like just what she is? It sounds like she's such a fun little character. Oh, she is. She's, um, she's funny. Um, but she is, oh gosh, she's a headstrong <laughs> little girl. Um, she will be, I think, 
our challenge. <laughs> She's a little firecracker, huh? <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, well, good. And then you have three other children, too. So not only are you battling cancer, going to work, because I know I saw you at work, um, but you also had, you know, a family of, you know, four children that you were taking care of, too. So um, what were their ages at the time when you were going through breast cancer, the other three? Oh, wow. Or if you want to tell me their ages now, that's fine. We don't have to do math. It's it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday. Um, I have a 15-year-old, a 10, a 5, and then Samantha's 2. Yeah. So, like, you know, whole range of ages. Um, so how, how did you balance it all? Like, did people help you a lot? Or, like, um, how, how did you get through that time? Because that just had to be crazy challenging. Yes. Family and friends were just such a big part into all of this. Um, my mom and my mother-in-law would help with the kids, um, even help. The community was a great supporter on helping to bring supper over. Um, whenever I know the first couple weeks while after surgery, mm-hmm. um, my mom lived there. Um, and the first surgery wasn't as bad Um I would say because I didn't have Samantha, I didn't have the little one, um, the second surgery, cause I did go forward with the right mastectomy then later on. But so then I had, um, a weight restriction. Mm-hmm. I couldn't lift. And unfortunately I had Samantha. So I needed somebody there full time, um, for the two weeks afterwards that I couldn't lift yeah. Samantha. So that I, I look back and I say, Ooh, the first surgery wasn't as bad, you know, mm-hmm. because that second surgery, I had a little bit more obstacle on that. Yeah. I just love that, you know, throughout this, you were so positive and I know your faith, you know, really helped you through, you know, a lot of tough times and we would talk at work and, you know, really when I was thinking about my season two, you were like truly the inspiration for like how I need to bring other survivor stories to life. And there's, you know, just having, you know, having that obstacle of, you know, having a baby during breast cancer, um, you know, both crazy life changing events and for them to happen, you know, at the same time, you know, I just wanted to share that with people and I want them to just know how amazing you are, how strong you are and how strong you are in faith. And, um, talk to me a little bit about your faith. Like, did it, did it change at all throughout your journey? Like, did, did you get angry at all? Or did you like, how did you kind of feel or how did you channel some of that energy or, you know, the feelings that you were having? I would say, yes, there, you go through all types of, of emotions, I would say. Um, I would say it's, it's grieving emotions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the anger, um, emotion because it's like why is it happening to me why does it happen to to you know the good people um you look at certain ones and it's like ugh, why why does it have to happen to that one um there's a teacher on oh, the kindergarten teacher right now that has it and it's like why mm-hmm. um she loves the kids and she does so good why you know um so so that's where it's like the anger but then you have to just give it all to him and turn it over to him because he is the strength. Mm -hmm. Um, we are not here. We are only here because of him. Uh, and because he, he lived, he was on this earth and because he, he went on the cross, he, 
Yes. It's hard not to get emotional. I know. I know. And in my faith took a total journey too. And I, I just, it's hard to explain, but it really rooted me. Um, and there was times where I just gave it up. I gave it up to God and I was like, you know what? You take the wheel. Cause I just cannot, I can't steer this ship, you know, like yeah. you can steer it and you can tell me where to go. And I put it all in your hands. And so I, I just totally understand. And I just think your faith journey, you know, it, you're right. Like you, you are human. You're going to go through all those emotions of grieving, but having your faith is, is such a source of strength. And, um, for me, it was such a helpful thing and such a helpful tool, like to get me through a really tough time. And I think you can relate to that too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and then I also wanted to talk a little bit about like what you're what you're afraid about now. Um, and I know in your case, you're bracket too. So maybe explain to a little bit of people if they don't know, you know, genetic testing or what bracket two means and then like how that kind of, you know, weighs into some of your fears. And that's I, I forgot something I was going to say. And that brings it back. Good, <laughs> good. You, Tina, you reminded me. So there were certain things. It's It's amazing how there's certain things that happen. And it's just like. God's hands have to be involved in this. And this is one of them mm-hmm. um, where I took a test early on in my um, in the journey of finding out that I had breast cancer. And and it's weird because, oh, I was scheduled to have this test done. And then I went in and the nurse goes, did I just see you take a swallow of water, a drink of water? And I was like oh yeah, was I not supposed to? And she goes, yeah, you weren't supposed to drink anything a half hour before or like mints or anything. I said, I am so sorry. I I didn't know that stipulation. She goes, oh, that's okay. We can reschedule it after the surgery and we'll, we'll have it after the surgery. Okay. Not a problem. So we didn't get it. We didn't get the results done, um, for the genetic testing done before the surgery. And at that time, um, we, what I would have said is the doctor said, well, we're just going to do the left mastectomy because you, at the time I still wanted to breastfeed, Mm -hmm. um, my daughter. And so they said, well, you're you're going to, you want to keep your right one. And so therefore we'll just do the left and have it done at that time. We had the surgery, the initial surgery. We got the test results for the genetic testing, and it came back bracket two positive. Mm. And I said, that is so weird because I think if she would have known that beforehand, would she have done both? Mm -hmm. Would she have pushed to done both? Now, there's some other side to that because I know... In your situation, talking to you, um, the surgery does last a lot longer. That would have potentially put some um, strain on the baby being under anesthesia for a longer okay. time. Mm-hmm. So therefore, maybe they wouldn't have done both at the same time. But it's kind of questioning why, you know, what what happened? Why did I not get those results till afterwards? Things happen for a reason, mm-hmm. and I believe that that testing result did not come back because we wanted to take it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. 
slowly. You know, it's not always the fastest wins the race. And in this case, we had to take it just slow and steady. Yeah. One step at a time. I love that. That's beautiful. (laughs) So back to the bracket too, um, more into that. So it's a genetic, um, mutation that you just, you don't have control. It's just hereditary. Now, I don't know, um, if I got it from my dad or if I got it from my mom, um, neither one of them been tested. Um, and we don't have indication from either one. So neither one of them have had, um, cancer. Um, and it's not evident on the sides of the family Mm -hmm. either. Um, both sides of the family have had cancer. Um, but it's not like just blaring out there that it's this side or that side. Um, but there's BRCA1 and there's BRCA2. So you're at a higher risk of breast or ovarian cancer when you have these gene mutations. And so for my my kids, what that means is they will just be tested more regularly because they will have potentially have the higher risk mm-hmm. if they have this gene mutation passed down to them as well. Um, so... They will be looked at 10 years less my first diagnosis. Okay. So I was 37. They'll be tested at 27. Okay. And it goes for um, both the boys and the girls. I I think that's a great thing to share, too. So thank you for telling that. Like, um, So, yeah, like even your son, who's um, older, would be tested, too. And I think, you know, so much we spend obviously on females getting breast cancer but um obviously you know men particularly with genetics are are just as you know susceptible too so thank you for sharing that and how does that play in like to your is it something that you feel i guess that you worry about every day or is it kind of like they're young and they're just living their lives and you'll worry about it later or how how does that kind of you know weigh into you on a day in and day out basis Right now, it, it doesn't because, yes, they're young. Um, you know, they're just, they're being kids. Yeah. And I would say, um, like, my 15-year-old son, who was 12 at the time, he probably was the most, that you know, coherent during the time and understanding what was going on. Um, I'm not sure if he really understands the future or if he knows kind of, really how it's going to impact him mm-hmm. in the future um, or his kids yeah. in the future. Um, so, and even my 10-year-old, she would have been seven at the time. I, She knew I was going through something, but I, and she knows that I, I I've had a change, mm-hmm. you know, my body's different, but to her, I don't, once again, she did, she didn't know about the female parts, or and she still doesn't quite understand. So, I I don't think she fully understands. Right, right. Um. So I'm I'm just pleased that you know they're they're all good, they're all healthy, they're playing as kids. I want them to play as kids. Mm-hmm. Um. I want them to 
you know, give me grandkids in the future. I hear they're the best. <laughs> I don't know. Not right now, for sure. <laughs> in the future. I know, too, you've had a niece, too, that you've played an you know, in, integral role in her yeah. part, too. Um, do you want to share that story? Or, I mean, I just think it's a very moving story, and you've been such an awesome inspiration for her, too. Yeah. So during, unfortunately, during my time, I my sister-in-law who was strong. She I that's all I can say. She was a strong woman. She um she was diagnosed 10 years ago with um ovarian cancer. Later found out that she was BRCA1 um gene mutation and she fought for 9 years. Mm-hmm. And um they have two daughters and her oldest one was starting her let me go back she passed away in not this last July but two years ago July mm-hmm. yes two years ago July and um, so at that time her, their oldest daughter was just starting her senior year of high school and the the um, oncologist that she that her mom went to thought she was old enough that hey she's close to 18 let's go ahead and let's do the testing the genetic testing and she uh she did and she came back BRCA1 as well so um she's very similar to her mom they they have just kind of taken the steps just to start kind of monitoring her they haven't really done anything you know um aggressive or anything yeah um she's a freshman just going to finish up her freshman year at purdue i am so proud of her and uh, she's actually taking a trip with purdue in the month of may down to puerto rico i believe for a class and i might have that wrong but she's excelling and she is doing great um it's not letting her stop her that's awesome so and it's awesome that you know, you have a different experience, but an experience that still can allow you to empathize, you know, with all that she's going through and, you know, try to help her through what is a very tough time, you know? So I think it's awesome. Again, like we don't understand all the reasons for everything, but, you know, I think God helps, you know, put people in our lives and helps us through difficult times and, you know, shows himself. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's amazing. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of getting into community outreach and what you're doing for Turn the Town Pink. So um, we've had Linda on and she, you know, told us about all the charity events and things that are happening for the Vera Bradley Foundation. But I love that you're kind of taking this grassroots, um, you know, sort of spin on it and trying to turn your town pink, um, which traditionally has not. So maybe explain to people like, you know, what you're trying to do and like what that, what that means to you um, as a survivor now. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to turn my town pink. Um, I just posted something last week on Facebook um, that says I would like to challenge everybody to donate $25 to the foundation, the Vera Bradley um, Foundation for Breast Cancer. Um, And then we get a packet of five ribbons and we're going to hang them on the trees um, of Burn, which is my current 
town. Yeah. And so I would like to just turn burn pink. So <laughs> and it sounds good too, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. turn burn pink. So yes. But I think that's so amazing. And I don't know how, you know, you feel, but like as a survivor, it's not enough to have just survived. Like I have to do something. And I think you feel that way too. You know, like, um, obviously all that money is going towards, you know, breast cancer research, um, down at, um, the IU, um, research center for cancer. Um, and it's, it just is so meaningful to see, um, you know, and, and kind of giving back, like you're coming full circle. So, you know, people that helped you through your journey and advised your oncologist, you're now giving funds and directing money back to other people who now need it. So maybe just explain like what that feeling is for you. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that these doctors are so close to getting something for a cure that we will just have the the gene mutation of BRCA1, BRCA2 won't even be out there Mm -hmm. anymore. It will slowly not be an issue. And I I guess I'm finding this because my son, as he was older, we were giving him vaccinations. And there's a certain vaccination you can give that says, hey, he won't get this cancer or he'll be less likely to get this cancer in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's what, like, it just finally hit me. Like, that's what they're trying to do. Uh And I believe they are so close at getting it and just tweaking it that it's going to be within my kids that they're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe the funds that, that Vera Bradley's foundation's raising to get those doctors to find it it's gonna that's all they need yes a little bit of more funding and you and I obviously work there and it's so near and dear to our hearts and like to work for a company that every day you know they're rounding up at the registers and they're um you know doing events you know for breast cancer and as a survivor that was like really part of the reason why I came into Fort Wayne and came to work for Vera Bradley and it's so meaningful to see all of it And, you know, the founder, Barb, who, you know, you know as well, like she's just so passionate about trying to find a cure for breast cancer or definitely improving the lives of people going through cancer um, and and making a difference. And I just think that that's so awesome that we work for a place, you know, that that's ingrained in their everyday culture. Yeah. And one thing I will say that's reminded me what you just said is that every every time that somebody has breast cancer, their treatment may be different. And that's what they have found. I, I believe, um, you know, I just had my college roommate reach out to me and she's, she just had surgery and she's going to go through radiation. She doesn't have to do the chemotherapy where before I, I say before that's like, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I don't know. It was surgery, chemo, radiation. Mm -hmm. Every patient got Mm -hmm. that. Now we're getting smarter where they can sit there and say, no, it's not that everybody needs to have those three things. And they can even go to the tune of what is feeding that, that tumor. Yeah. How, what does that tumor like? And that just amazed me. And so that's one thing that I was like, oh, get educated, understand what's going on about your body. Um, 
because I didn't understand that stuff. When somebody said, oh, they had breast cancer, it's just I kind of put everybody in that category of breast cancer, but there are so many different variations of it. Yeah. Um, Yes, we can put them in that category, but there might be a little subset here, a little subset you can't say it's all the same. And that's what I think, um, you know, even from the time my mom was first diagnosed to today, which is, you know, over 15 years ago. Um, but just the knowledge that the doctors have, like, so not only are you diagnosed with, you know, breast cancer, but it's what type you are. Um, and each, you know, like the HER2, you know, the people that are diagnosed with HER2, they have, you know, special drugs now to, you know, to treat that. So I just think it's really amazing how far they've come. And then to listen to the researchers at Vera Bradley Foundation and all that they're doing for like monogram medicine and taking your genetic code into account, like when they do some of these treatment plans, you know, it may give you a 2% betterment of, you know, life, but it might ruin, you know, your quality of life by 15% or something. So giving you all these, you know, you know, tidbits and like information to help you, you know, make decisions in a very tough time. I think that's very helpful for people because there is a quality of life that, you know, people still need to maintain. And I think that that's, you know, really interesting. So you kind of touched on it a little bit. um, But as you probably know, I had a Tina tip in every single show. So I'd love to know, like, what your Tina tip is. And it can be, you know, someone going through breast cancer um, or just getting the diagnosis or literally in the battle, you know, whatever you think. But and don't feel free, you know, it doesn't have to just be one, but, you know, what are some of the tips you would give to someone, you know, right in the midst of it right now? Um, my tip would be ask questions. If you don't understand, just ask questions. There's not a dumb question to ask. And if you think of the question and you're, you know, you don't have a doctor's appointment that day or something, write it down so that I found that, uh, oh, yeah, hey, I need to ask him about this. And then I'd get into the appointment and we'd be getting to a certain and then it'd be like, oh, he's out the door. Oh, shoot. I forgot to ask him about this. If I wrote it down Mm -hmm. and had it ready when I walked in, I was sure to ask him those questions. And and the doctor was sure to say, do you have any questions that that you have prepared for me? Mm hmm. I love that. And I know I've even in my phone, you know, in the notes section, have written them down too. you know, just to kind of keep them at hand and keep them close. Um, Because, you know, you you get into chemo, especially and it's like your brain, you can hardly remember, you know, like what you did five minutes ago. So I think that's an awesome tip. And like, yes, write them down and, you know, don't leave until you get those questions answered. And then I've always felt too, like if you find you know, I think you were pretty much like me, like lucky with my team of doctors that I had treating me. But if you find someone not answering your questions, then it's maybe time for that second opinion or to, you know, search out other doctors too. So you always want people to prioritize you and it's your health and your life. And you need to like, make sure, you know, you're going through those questions together. I think that's very wonderful. Mm -hmm. Any other tips you want to share? Um, uh, along with that, take somebody with you. Yes. Yes. And that was, I think my very first tip. And one of my first mistakes that I made. So when I when I went to my oncology appointment, like they just were able to get me in and my husband had just taken me to a different appointment. So like he couldn't come with me. And 
oh, that's when like the shoe fell off, you know, and I found out I had to get chemo and I was just like not mentally prepared for that. And I think having someone there to take the notes, to be that support, if they're telling you something you just can't handle at the moment, they can drive you home. You know, it's, it's a big, you know, huge blessing to take someone. And so definitely take someone with you. I agree. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to share with me or talk about just in our last few minutes? But I just want to say like how amazing you are, Selena. Like I just, your whole journey was like so inspirational to me and like you just handled it with grace and with grit and like you just rolled up your sleeves. You still came to work like you were a mom. Like it was just truly a blessing to see you, you know, thrive through all of this. So I just want to thank you so much for being the very first cancer survivor other than myself on DJ Breast Cancer. And I truly, from the bottom of my heart, it means the world to me. Oh, thank you for having me. I want to give a special thanks to Nicholas Lay for producing my podcast, DJ Breast Cancer. And a shout out to Whirly Gig Photography for their amazing content for my website. And the band Roustabout for sharing their song with me, Pariah. A special thanks goes out to all of you listeners. Please leave a review on iTunes and let me know any feedback or any future stories. More information can be found on my website, www.djbreastcancer.org.